Welcome back, students. Let's talk about Book 19 of Homer's Odyssey today. Quick review before we start, though. What are the two names of the so-called beggar king whom Odysseus, in the guise of Ithon, just had the opportunity to fight against? Yes. Eros and Arnaeus. Eros and Arnaeus. Which name did his mother give to him? Yes. Arnaeus. Arnaeus. Why is he called Eros? Yes. Because he's like the messenger to the Greeks, like Iris. Like Iris, the messenger goddess. Very good. That's the male version of it. Very good. Very good. Very good. Which woman? Though she has never had such an inclination, has an inclination out of nowhere to descend the stairs with her attending ladies and to let the suitors gaze upon her beauty. Yes. Penelope. Penelope. But at first she wants to go down. She's all steer, tear, steer, tear stained and not and looking a little bit rough. Who is it who is her nurse who advises her to get cleaned up a little bit before she goes to present herself to these gents? Yes. Your renemy. Which name might you mistake for Eurynome, though? The serving maid and nurse of both Telemachus and Odysseus, yes? Eurycleia. Who might you also mistake that for who was the foolish companion and brother-in-law of Odysseus who led to the deaths of the men on Thrinachia? Yes? Eurylochus. And if you were still even confused, which suitor, uh, wooing suitor, who's apparently the closest to wooing Penelope, also has a Europe name, sir? Ma'am? Eurymachus. Very good, very good, very good. And in fact, which suitor recently did Odysseus have a chance to talk some smack to through a footstool at him, missed him, and hit a steward or a uh, sort of a waiter who was holding some wine? Yes? Not Melanthios. Not Melanthios. It was one of the leaves, yes? It was Eurymachus. And I said that this is a potential symbol. What does that symbol mean that Eurymachus was off the mark with his throw. What does that mean about the suitors and their particular gains, or excuse, excuse me, aims and goals? That they are also what? Something interesting to tell you. Are you all aware of the word sin that we have in our language? It's sort of a sacred error, right? The word sin comes from the Greek word hamartia which means to miss a bow shot. Very interesting, because what sort of contest are we going to have very soon that Penelope is going to come up with after presenting herself to the suitors and demanding gifts from them, which they will then give to her? There will be a contest of the bow, where you will have to aim exceptionally well. In fact, probably you know an old Disney story where there's a very famous bow or archery contest. Who can remember it? There's some foxes in it, there's a bear. Uh, Yes, what's the... Brave. Brave, that's interesting. I haven't seen Brave, so I don't actually know about that. I'm going to have to watch that. I'm going to have to watch that, yes? Robin Hood, what happens in Robin Hood? Robin Hood is in disguise or not in disguise when he goes to compete in this archery contest, yes? In disguise, he's incognito is what that means. Very good, and what miraculous, incredible feat does he accomplish? Not just hits the bullseye. No, no, no. It's a little bit more special than that. The person before him actually hits the bullseye. What does Robin Hood then do? Yes? Splits his arrow, which seems impossible. Well, when we get to the contest of the bow, supposedly, and I'll show you a few pictures of this. Nobody really knows how this would have worked. Odysseus is going to have to shoot his arrow through the holes in the handles of 12 axes. 
which seems impossible. It'd have to be like a perfect shot, just like Odysseus, just like Robin Hood's perfect shot. But that's a symbol too, which must mean what about Odysseus's goal or his aim? That he's right on what? Right on target, right on track. Very good. Very good, very good, very good, very good, very good. Okay, also we met a nasty, nasty serving maid who apparently is laying with Eurymachus these days. She is the sister of Melanthios and the daughter of Dolios. And she only has invective to hurl on Odysseus. And who is she? Melantho. Melantho. Remember the difference between Melantho, daughter of Dolios, and Melantheos, son of Dolios. Um, they both going to die. All right, let's get going. Book 19 begins with thoughts of murder. In fact, the very first 13 lines think about that. And remember, we're going to be going very fast today, so if you do not get everything from each slide, that is okay. Make sure that you are focusing. Odysseus to Telemachus. Store away the weapons from the great hall where the suitors carouse. This makes perfect sense. Can you tell now where the main action of the battle is going to happen? Is Odysseus deciding where the fates of the suitors are going to be sealed? Where is it that he is going to turn from a place of merriment into a killing ground? Which place? In his home. The Great Hall. Very good. But the thing about the Great Hall is that the Great Hall has weapons on the wall. If weapons stay on the wall and Odysseus takes a bow and starts to shoot down suitors, what well could they do? Take the weapons down and defend themselves. So what is it that Odysseus needs Telemachus to do first before he engages this plan, enacts this plan? Telemachus must take the weapons down. He must store them in a storeroom. And here's actually where he's going to show his youth. Even though he is going to almost perfectly enact this plan, he's going to tell the suitors, 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 we need to take down all these weapons because the ash from the fires is starting to dull and tarnish them. We don't want that. That's shoddy. Also, you guys drink a lot. And you listen to music. And when you drink, well, that muddles your wits. And you might get into a conflict. And if you get into a conflict when you're drunk, you might well take these weapons down and do what with them? Kill each other. Kill each other. And he's like, I wouldn't want that because I want to kill you. He doesn't say that today. That's called subtext. That's called subtext. In any case, he has to take these weapons and put them into a locked storeroom. What small but huge mistake does he make? And I want you to understand that this is probably why adults get upset with you when you think you do something small, but it actually ends up being big. Who knows what mistake Telemachus makes here? Yes. Um, I think he left a little bit of the How many of you have ever done that with A, a refrigerator, or B, your, your door at home? Show of hands left it slightly ajar, and you're like, what? I like practically did it perfectly. And then you got an earful from whatever adult happened to be around about how you just take things for granted and you don't understand the value of money, and that's electricity, and you don't know blah, 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 blah. Any of you ever gotten that sort of thing before? Right, so it seems like a small thing, but why is it huge that he leaves the door cracked open? What will that allow the suitors to do? Yes? Right, if he gets the door closed and actually locks it, they have no chance. He will fail to do that. He will fail to do that. In fact, but he will fail to do that when he is going during the battle between the suitors and uh, Odysseus. Good. So, Telemachus also utters a command to Eurycleia. Again, showing that he is becoming the what of the house? Man of the house. And he utters this command to the woman who was once in charge of him. I mean, I want you to think about this. You remember your kindergarten teachers 
and when you were young and how they were basically like mom number two or mom number three. They're like, you need to do this. You need to get in line. You need to do this. You need to clean your hands. You need to move this hair. No, you don't. You don't burp on me. And uh, do you all remember getting told what to do all the time, generally by your uh, teachers when you were very young? Well, that's kind of your clan. But who's given the commands now? Telemachus, right. And that is the way of nature and society. He commands Eurycleia to keep the serving women, should say women there, inside. They are not to come to the Great Hall, no matter what they hear. And they will be hearing some terrifying things. Ah! 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 They are not to come towards the screams. Yes. So what does the Great Hall look like? Um, I can give you a diagram of it. But basically, there's a front door, there's a back door, there's sort of a vent that will be important at some point, and there are a lot of tables there too. So um, you might say it looks sort of like this classroom, but with two big doors, um, a ventilation system. There's like a vent shaft. I don't know what it's there for because it's obviously not there for uh, <laughs> internal air conditioning, uh, but it will be used by um, Melanthios at some point to get weapons, unfortunately. Um, I'll get you a schematic of it. I'll give you a schematic of actually Odysseus's house. It's not a super, it's not like a medieval palace. So don't think about it like uh, Cinderella Palace or like a Beauty and the Beast Palace. It's a big manor home. It'd be like a mansion that we would have these days. Maybe not even as big as a California mansion. All right. Oh yeah, and just one thing, yeah, one thing. See, see he even says this, 1919. I was a child before. I was a child before. So if he was a child before, what is he not now? Not a child. Not a child. Not a child. Okay, Eurycleia obeys. Bars the doors, and then Odysseus and Telemachus hide the weapons. Very interesting scene while they're doing that. While they are walking through the halls, recall it is night right now, Athena illuminates them. She just casts some light upon them and Telemachus brings this up and he's like, this is a rather odd thing. The gods must be amongst us right now. And Odysseus says, shh, the gods will do as they will. Uh, uh, Telemachus, just keep working, just keep working. It's almost as if, I'm not sure, there's definitely a symbol here. I haven't yet interpreted it perfectly. Perhaps it's like when you're on the right track, there are signs that show you that that is true. Just as when you are on the wrong track, there are signs that show you that that is true. Uh, who, who is it recently that have started seeing signs indicating that they will soon die? Yes? The suitors. The suitors, yes. Theoclemenus has seen those signs. Penelope will soon see those signs. Those signs. Amphinomus has seen those signs. The signs are mounting up that things are going wrong. Hmm. Well, Telemachus wonders at this, but Odysseus hushes at him. He says, do not ask questions, for this is the very way of the gods. And then Telemachus, after they finish putting away the weapons and Eurycleia bars the doors, they go to bed. They're setting up the situation very, very nicely. Very, very nicely. This also means what? If you want to be successful, what must you do before you are successful? You must plan ahead. Very good. You must prepare yourself to be successful. Absolutely. Does Odysseus just run in there willy-nilly? No, not at all. He takes careful consideration and planning, even make sure that everybody that he's working with, he can trust entirely. And so, that's something to keep in mind, something to keep in mind. Um, yes, very good. All right, so, now that everything is set up, recall that Odysseus and Penelope had a date. 
She had invited the beggar to come see her. But what is it that he had said? Why is it that he said, mm, maybe at this moment it's not the best time for me to come see her. I should come see her at night. Or she should come to me. You know? So that the suitors don't see me and get mad. So that the suitors don't see that and abuse her and abuse him and get mad. But also it's sort of interesting too because who comes to whom in this case? Penelope comes to Odysseus. Which I just think is a very interesting sort of thing. It's like he tricked her into having to come to him even though he's come home. You're going to see the more times you reread this section, which I, I recommend you read it at least 20 times, the more you're going to see just how sort of funny the relationship is between Penelope and Odysseus, and I think also just funny the relationship is between man and woman. They're just a little bit different while also the same. A little bit different while also the same, but as her seat is next to the fire, the servants clean up the goblets and food that was left over because of those sloppy suitors. They don't clean up after themselves either, of course. And well, before Penelope gets down to Odysseus, and unfortunately for her, she does this within earshot of Penelope. She scolds Odysseus again. She's like, do you mean to stay here all night? You don't have some porch under which you can go sleep? And it's like, Melantho, you are so inhospitable, you do not honor the what at all? The Zinnia. Very good. Very, very, very good. And Odysseus says, and I think this is sort of like, this is sort of sweet. This is sort of like how Hephaestus talks in relation to Ares. Recall he says, what was it, what reason did Hephaestus give for why Aphrodite liked Ares more than, more than him in the Song of Demodocus? He said, because Ares is what and I am not. Handsome, right. Well, Odysseus says, why do you judge me so poorly? Is it, is it because of my poor fortune or my poor looks? I was once handsome. I once had good fortune. You should not mistreat me because of this. Because, lady... You, do you think that your beautiful looks will last forever? Do you think that your good fortune will last forever? And unfortunately or fortunately for Melantho, her looks will outlast her life. Who understands what that means? She will die before she gets out. That's excellent. Excellent analysis. Yeah, she will die tomorrow. Very good. Very good. Very good. And he warns her that her looks will someday go, and her mistress may someday turn on her. Ooh, who recalls? A woman making, or a, a woman or a goddess making such a threat in Book Three of the Iliad. Yes. Um, Aphrodite to Helen. Aphrodite to Helen. Take care what you say to me, lady, lest I make men hate you as they now devastatingly love you. Very good, very good. Because if the person who, if the hand that feeds you, you bite it, what might that hand no longer do? And it might, in fact, do what to you? Right. Right, the, the hand that giveth can also what? Very good, very good. Penelope hears this, and then she also admonishes Melantha. And so this is so interesting because then you get Odysseus' dad chastising Melantha, and then you get Penelope, sort of mom chastising. It's like they're working as a what together? A team, yes, yes, yes. And she says she well knows why that beggar is still there. And she orders your enemy to bring up a chair to Odysseus. And Odysseus and Penelope sit across from each other, and the interview begins. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Look at that. He looks a little too good in here because remember, how does he actually look at this particular moment? He looks like an old, nasty man. And has he taken a shower since he had that scuffle with Eurus? No. And how does she look? She looks stellar. She recently had a bath, and Athena made her taller. Was it thicker? And. 
Paler, really good, very good, paler, not curlier. So she's looking fantastic. She's actually looking like she's about to have a date. He's looking sort of like how he looked when he presented himself to whom, where, yes? To Nausicaa on Scria, yeah. He's looking a little savage. She's looking a little civil, yes? You know, some of these painters, uh, it depends on the tradition in which they're painting. It is often the case that ancient themes will be given modern dress, especially in Baroque painting. So sometimes they'll be painted as Romans. Sometimes they'll be painted as like Renaissance dandies. With You can even find paintings of Odysseus with like tights on, which just does not make sense because what do we know about him? Not only that he didn't have tights, but that he has giant legs. Giant legs. He just looked ridiculous in some tights. It'd be funny. It'd be funny. Yes. Wait, is that Melissa in the background? That's Euryclea in the background. And that's sad because who does that make us think of? Even though it obviously is not him. Argos. Argos. Very good. There's a little dog there being like, Root. but it is interesting. It is interesting <laughs> because if you can really see this picture, you're pretty close. What emotion does she look like? She's feeling right here. She looks sad. She looks sad. But it's interesting because that dog is looking up as if it what's him. Knows. knows him or recognizes him. So this is a clever painter because he's suggesting if the dog can recognize him, well, who's smarter than a dog? Humans. Humans. Even though we don't have that sense of smell, can we smell a rat? Can we sense when something is amiss? But we don't do it with our nose. What do we do it with? Our minds, that's right. That's our super nose. That's our super nose. Very good. That's why your heads are so big. That's why childbirth is so difficult. Right, 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 right. And that's why Mr. Schmidt had to be a C-section because his head was actually so big that he couldn't be naturally born. I was actually literally too big for this world. All right. <laughs> All right, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. All right, so Odysseus and Penelope sit face-to-face -face in front of the fireplace in the Great Hall. Ooh, can everybody feel the tension? You need to feel some tension here. You gotta feel the nerves. I don't know if you've ever had a date before, if you've ever had a crush on somebody and then had to talk to them and you're like, duh, 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 duh. Uh, but that's definitely what's happening here because Odysseus has seen Penelope again and Penelope looks really what right now? She looks gorgeous right now and he looks terrible, yes? Wait, so what would happen before C-sections were created? What would happen to someone like you? You would die. Oh, you would die. There's actually, there's actually quite a bit of literature on that right now. A lot of people get born that would not have been able to be born even 100 years ago. Even 100 years ago, yeah. Many non-viable pregnancies now happen. Um, or births that would not have been able to happen, happen. But yeah, I would have been dead. I would have been dead. I think there was some sort of C-section technology. Not back then, though. Not back then. And so, yeah, birth has always been an extraordinarily dangerous thing. In fact... If you ever hear somebody complaining why most hero myths have men, the reason why most mythologists believe it and anthropologists at this point is, what is the great battle that all women who are going to become mothers have to go through that risks death? Childbirth. That's right. That's right. I mean, still in developing countries, you can have mortality rates in childbirth of up to 50%, which means what's the most dangerous thing? I mean... What is, it's not an everyday occurrence. It's a very dangerous thing having children. So it shouldn't be taken for granted. It really is very special. Yes? Oh, wait. So Ms. Head says that birth necessarily correlates with intelligence? Or 
Um, there are there is some evidence that head size has a 0.3 or so correlation with intelligence, um, but it is not the only factor that leads to intelligence. No. Um, so there is a correlation, but it's not the causation. It's not the only factor. It's not the only factor. In any case, in any case, Penelope opens the conversation. Everybody feeling some tension. Everybody like, oh man, it's like a first date all over again. Do these people still love each other? What are they going to say? Is he going to kill her? I don't know. What man are you and whence? Whence means where from? Where are you from? Where is your city? Who are your parents? Odysseus attempts to deflect. He says, well, ask me not who I am and where I am from because it will cause me too much suffering. Is he playing with her here? Obviously he has to tell her. He suddenly prods her about the behavior of her maids then. And he says, they, they might accuse him of drunkenness for what it is he has to say. And so she responds to this. And I'm just going to have to go as quickly through this as I, as I do, as I do. Well, Penelope explains her resourcefulness. She says, oh, I lost my looks, and this is something she's repeating here. The moment that Odysseus left, my home, which is interesting because if she recognizes who this is, she's given him a what sort of trip? A guilt trip. But if she doesn't, but also on the other hand, if she recognizes this, she might also be indicating that she is what to Odysseus and has been what to Odysseus the entire time. Loyal, faithful, very good, very good. She explains that she lost her looks when Odysseus left. Next, she says, I had no thoughts but those for Odysseus. Very interesting because I could see her either just saying this. In a hopeful way to a stranger, but I could also see this as her saying this clearly to a man who she suspects might be Odysseus because she understands that her life might be on the line because she's there alone with him. And if he finds her not to be trustworthy, who knows what his idea would be. And then she shares something very interesting with him, which is just very odd to me. She's He's wondering about the suitors and how it is that she has kept them away for so long. And she tells him this strategy, and it's just a very intimate detail to share with a stranger. She says, well, the thing is, I've been keeping the suitors at bay for three years, which is actually due to the fact that Odysseus blinded Polyphemus, right? That suitors ended up in his home. That's what Tiresias said to him. So technically, whose fault is it that the suitor showed up? Odysseus's. And she says, well, you know, I would weave this web every day. Now I would unweave it at night. And I told them that I was making a shroud, a web, for Laertes, father of Odysseus. And when I finished it, I would marry one of them. But I was never intending to do what? To finish it, of course. Except for a foul-serving woman. So she's empathizing with Odysseus. She's saying, not only have you been abused by the serving woman, but who's been abused by them as well? She has. They have not been acting right. She says, one of them ratted her out. A faithless serving woman betrayed her. And so she had to finish. She says with sighs. And so now that she's finished this shroud, what must she do? Marry one of these ignoble suitors? These weaklings? These men who do not honor the Zinnia? These unwarlike men? Hmm. So now she must marry, and I just want you to think about that. If she suspects that the person in front of her is Odysseus, why might she say, hmm, <laughs> I sadly finished the web, and now I've got to get married pretty soon. Probably tomorrow. 
Who sees what she's doing there? If she recognizes or suspects who this is, what is she trying to make him feel? Who knows this? We all know this. What is she trying to make him feel? Yes? Ah, not guilty yet. It's a much better word than that. It's a much better word than that. Yes? Not anger. Not anger either. Yes? Jealousy. Yes! She's trying to make him jealous. In fact, it's very similar to, if you ever read the fifth book of Harry Potter, who here's like seen uh, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix or read the book. It's interesting. When Harry Potter has a date and goes to a tea room, which is called Madame Puttyfoot's, which I just think is the funniest thing, he goes on a date with this girl named Cho Chang. And while he's there, he makes the mistake of saying that he's supposed to meet his friend Hermione at lunch. And then she's like, you want to meet another girl at lunch? What does she think is happening there? She thinks... It's Valentine's Day, by the way, so bad timing by him. She thinks that he's ending her date to go on another date. And so she brings this up. She says, oh, you see that guy over there? He's the Quidditch captain. That means like a football captain named Roger Davies. The guy making out with another girl, he asked me out the other week. But I said, no, what's she trying to do by saying that? Make him jealous. So very, very interesting here. Because if she can make him jealous, he might make a what that would then reveal him. A mistake, right? Again, he has to endure a difficult what and restrain himself. Jealousy, anger, sadness, emotion. Very good, very good. And then she says again, she says, uh, See you, man. You were not born from any fabulous oaks or boulder, very similar to what Alcanoas said to Odysseus in the Phaeacian land. And so Odysseus responds, and uh, I'm going to go very quickly through this, so just make sure you get the main points here. He says, I was great. I was the grandson to great King Minos, the great king of Crete, the son of Zeus, and the father of the Minotaur, indicating that as things progress, do they always get better or do they sometimes get worse? God, man, half-bull man. Worse, right. In fact, we'll see the Minotaur in... Circle seven of the Inferno, hell, next year. Next year as a, as a symbol of violence. Uh, very good, very good. And so, he says, he was from ancient Creek, where many peoples mingled, and many languages were spoken. Very Babel-like, after the fall of the tower. He says, Idomeneus was his brother, and then Ithon is his name. That's the most important thing to know. Know that he said that his name was me, his, his father's name was Minos, that he was from Crete, they spoke many languages there and mingled, like the Trojans, um, and that his brother was Idomeneus, and that he calls himself Ithon. He says, you know, the thing is, though, because remember, the whole point of this interview is for Penelope to receive information from this stranger about Odysseus, is that he once entertained Odysseus when Odysseus was on the way to Ilion, Troy, and it, even though Idomeneus had already left, and this is a very interesting thing for him to say. He says, line two of he knew how to say many false things that were like true sayings. Why is that a funny thing to hear at this particular moment while Odysseus talks to Penelope right now? Yes? Because he's saying many false things that sound like true things. That means he's a good what teller? Storyteller is the kind way of saying good liar. Very good. He's very... Fabulous, or or uh, he tells fables. Well, very good, very good, very good. And well, after he says this, Penelope breaks into tears again. That's a test of Odysseus's emotions. 
when he sees his wife break into tears in front of him, after hearing his name and where he was, what emotion must he then feel? Sadness, but what is the sort of sadness you feel when you see somebody else feeling sad who you care about? Not quite empathy, it's very close to that. Sympathy, sympathy. Yes, he feels great sympathy. Again, he's, he's almost drawn into her emotion here. And he wants to comfort her, but he must deny himself. Flesh lines 204 to 214, because again, is she testing him? Again, trying to say something to him that might invoke jealousy. Trying to say something to him that might invoke sympathy. Has anybody here ever cried in order to get sympathy, in order to get what they wanted from somebody? I just, I, I just, I, I couldn't get my work done last night, and, and life is so hard, and I just, and it's so my fault. Anybody ever done something like that before? You don't need to admit it. You don't need to admit it. Is that something that people can do and do do? Of course. Of course. We're very, very what? Very manipulative. We're very tricky. Very tricky. Yes. Is she testing him? All right. So Penelope tests the truth of Odysseus's story. There's a nice slide to have after those last ones. She says, what was he wearing? What sort of man was he? And who followed him? Odysseus responds so cleverly. It indicates that he understands things very, very well. What he says is this. He's like, well, I don't know if what he was wearing is something he brought from home or something that was given to him. I know what happened beforehand, but this is what he was wearing. Blam. Though it had been so long, Odysseus had a purple mantle on, regal, and a golden pin of a hound holding down a fawn. And many of the... When women were not looting at his, t <laughs> at his tunic in admiration. They were leering at his tunic in admiration. Apparently, he had a nice shirt, a nice jacket that was, uh, or cloak, which was purple, and a really cool golden pin on it. Uh, the pin is what holds the mantle or the cloak together because it's essentially a what? A big old, the thing you sleep in? Blanket. Right. And it's a pretty good one, too, because is that not Odysseus? A, like a hound holding down a baby deer, something that gets what it wants? Hmm. But he may have changed clothes, he said, and he was with a herald named Eurybides. And do you remember Eurybides and Talthybius from the Iliad? The very first book, I, I believe it was Talthybius and Eurybides who were themselves sent to collect Briseis from Achilleus. I'd have to look that up again, but we do see Euripides in the Iliad. Well, when Penelope hears this, she cries again, and she welcomes the stranger, because who do you think gave Odysseus those clothes in that particular brooch or pen? Probably whom? Her. Probably her. And she cries, and she says, but, you know, for all you say, loving stranger, Odysseus will not return. Well, Odysseus then claims that Odysseus was recently in Thesprotia, and in fact is here. And it's very interesting how he says that. Very, very interesting that he would claim that Odysseus is here or almost here, given the proximity of Odysseus to Penelope at this particular moment. And he says that Phaedon, their king, told him, and even still Penelope will not believe. Some things are too unbelievable, even though they're true. Moving forward, moving forward. All right, Ithon, Odysseus, and Penelope finish speaking after Ithon 
Odysseus requests an old serving lady to wash his feet if he must wash. So Penelope's like, you just kind of stink. Looking a little rough. Let's get you a bath. Odysseus says, I don't really care for your serving maids. They might make fun of me. Very similar to which situation in Scoria. When Odysseus refused, what? About a bath from Nausicaa's serving maid. He said, you know, I'm kind of an old craggly dude. I'm going to do it myself. Well, here he says, if you have some old lady, perhaps I would take a bath from her. Who is he clearly thinking will be sent to bathe him? Yes? Eurycleia. Eurycleia. Why would he want to be bathed by Eurycleia specifically? Because she's his servant. Because she was his nurse and whose nurse? So she is most likely still what, though not guaranteed? Yes? Loyal. Right. And in fact, she's so perceptive that she's going to figure out who it is without him wanting that to happen. So Penelope grants this, and Eurycleia will bathe him. I'm just going to set this up, and then we're going to end. Eurycleia very sweetly cries for Ithon because he is so tragic and pathetic. And she says, in fact, lines 383 and 385, that he looks so much like Odysseus that it's uncanny. And in fact, Odysseus responds, that's what everybody says. That's what everybody says. These ladies, very stupid or very sharp? They're very sharp, very sharp. And Odysseus tries to hide the scar on his knee, and we will begin by telling the story of how he got that scar tomorrow or Thursday, depending.